0: Hello, everybody, wherever you are. Um, This is Charlie, and this is, again, another version. It turns out it's the 21st of the podcasts uh, known as To Hell and Back, in which we uh, consider experiences where people have experienced uh, being in hell in some version in life and people who got through it and got out the other side um, and how they did that, and that's what this is all about and uh, and this is the third conversation I'll have with Natalia Garcia who has described her situation uh, in which eight months ago she lost her child uh, during the middle of the night with no um, knowledge of why he passed away and what she has done since then to uh, come back from that and to continue to live her life and it's just been unbelievably interesting I commend anybody who's listening to this if you haven't listened to the other two, go back to those you hear a lot of both uh, detail and and you get the predicament you get the situation and you know we've now this will after today I will have had conversations uh, with Domingo Marquez about hurricane hurricane in Puerto Rico that was way more than a normal hurricane and and then Cedar Coons about losing her sister to suicide, and then three sessions with Melanie Harned talking about the ingredients of the treatment of PTSD with prolonged exposure, um, trying to extract lessons there for daily life for all of us, and then uh, talking with Natalia. After today, I expect that I will be doing a number of things. One will be I'm going to go back and review those four sets of interviews and extract lessons for all of us to consider in coping with our own traumatic events and painful losses in our life, hoping to kind of come up with like a vocabulary of suggestions. Um, I'd like to return uh, to, uh, at another point, to focusing on exactly what it would mean to live dialectically. Uh, people know what it means to when they, a lot of people know what it means to live mindfully in this moment and people know what it means sometimes to live purposefully but I think it'd be interesting to explore what it really means in some detail to live dialectically which I think is a very skillful way to live Uh, I will be talking in the future about more sets of skills I've talked about mindfulness skills earlier on in the series of podcast and I think we'll get back to going on to uh, some uh, of the skills of uh, distress tolerance and uh, emotion regulation and interpersonal effectiveness. I will undoubtedly do more interviews of people's experiences of being in, in hell in their lives and getting through it. Um, and so now, um, in, in honor of the fact that the theme of the last one was probably, I would say, if you had to sum it up, The value of exposure and the difficulties and the challenges and the rewards of living a life of exposing yourself to things that you would rather avoid. Um, I wrote a song uh, as a way of uh, trying to put it together. So I'm going to sing that song right now. And I'm going to play my guitar when I sing it, but I haven't played it for a long time. So this might be one of those things like when you're listening to a freshman in college play the guitar and trying to sing a song and, uh, you know, keeps interrupting himself. But I'm going to do the best I can. And I'll probably put this on my website with other songs if you wanted to find it. But um, this song is uh, called What a Day for Exposure. And it's to the tune of What a Day for a Daydream. Uh, for those of you who can remember the love and spoonful from the sixties and seventies and it goes like this what a day for exposure what a day to confront my fears it's the way to get closure on what's been haunting me for years and years. And though my trauma memories are poor, my thoughts are deadly, my body keeps score. Every day I avoid more and more. It's gotten to where I won't even open my door. What a day for exposure. To act opposites, the urge to avoid, it's the way to get closure. To face my fears and learn I won't be destroyed. If I insist that you stay by my side, please turn me down, it's just another way to hide. I've got to walk this path that feels so dire. I've got to learn that I can go through the fire. And now I expose myself to things every day do it repeatedly and I do it all of the way and when I notice myself running away I turn around and I can hear myself say what a day for exposure perfect day for confronting my fears it's a way to get closure but what has haunted me for years and years? Do <laughs> it. do i I'm do imagining do 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 people applauding like crazy, huge, thousands of people, uh, which is really a good imagery to practice when you're basically talking to yourself. Um, So I like to put songs together. If you didn't know me that way before, uh, once in a while I just find that when you put a song together, it requires that you grab hold of what you're thinking about and really put it into a few words in rhyme it demands of you that you make it clear and that you make it compact and so it's it's like a puzzle it's like a practice of um getting yourself to try to put together and the themes of these past few weeks including with melanie have been so much about exposure and approaching things that you'd rather avoid and the value of that that i just wanted to try to condense it into a song so i'm done with that that was sort of fun but again sort of weird when you do that by yourself Um, now i want to welcome natalia who i hope has survived through this song (laughs) and is still present are you there natalia
1: i am that was great i wanted to clap and applaud for you charlie i loved it thank you
0: (laughs) that's the perfect thing to say um (laughs) thank you um yeah, I'll send it off to you, too, because you're an exposure teacher, and some of the, it's definitely in, inspired by things you've been talking about. Um, I thought it was brilliant. Now, look, we have a lot to talk about now. Um, just to follow up some loose ends uh, of things we've been talking about, and also we got a very interesting question from somebody that Natalia is going to respond to, and um, she and I had a chance to talk um, you know, before this um, sometime. I think it was yesterday. And um, so I'm going to put it to you this way, Natalia. Um, this experience of losing your child and what you've been telling us about, uh, both I wanted to ask you and also the person listening asked you very elegantly in ways, um, as she put it, how how has this changed you, this experience, for better and for worse? And also she linked into that another thing I was interested in but not but wouldn't would not assume that you necessarily are comfortable with it because you're very brave and upfront about yourself. But this involves somebody else, which would be your your husband Brian, and how this has changed him and changed your marriage for better and for worse. So I'm just going to turn you loose with these questions.
1: Yeah, and thank you so much to the listener who posed them. I think these are these are really great questions, and I'm happy to address them. Um, I will start, actually, with the question of Brian and how this has affected our relationship. And then I'll move in a little more broadly into how I've changed or we've changed, for for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll start by saying that, you know, events like this, whether a trauma or a loss or something else really make, uh, of huge magnitude, can be something that is a real stressor on a marriage. And that's for certain. Um And at the same time, it can also be something that I think can bring you together. Um, I got that sense pretty early on in the immediate aftermath of all of this. Like Brian and I were sort of, our instinct was just to cling together like we were hanging on for dear life. Um, And even though there was loads of support that was flooding in, there was this sense that really only Brian could know the depths of my grief and of my loss and Only Brian knew Jackson as well as I did. This idea that his brain actually housed so many of our shared memories, even some unique stories, Mm -hmm. things that he shared with me since he died. And there was just this very early sense of, like, I don't know, losing Brian would have sort of been like losing Jackson all over again. Um, And so for us, we've felt very, very grateful um, that the effect of losing Jackson has not been to break us up, but in fact has actually pulled us closer together. Mm. And and I do think that there are reasons for that. In other words, there are protective factors at play um, that make that easier uh, to be the case for us. And I think one of those is that we really didn't blame each other. Um, I think that, again, speaking of things we're grateful for, we are despite this horrible thing that has happened, we were grateful for the circumstances such that it was really hard to blame each other. I can think of plenty of other situations where it would be a lot easier to fall into that trap as a couple or in a relationship. Um, and certainly we could have found ways to blame each other. But but in essence, um, that was sort of off the table from the get-go, which I think was really, really protective. And in general, we had a strong foundation. We had been together for ten years or so, um, and we've always been pretty highly communicative and open in our sharing. You know, talking every day about the things of substance, asking the hard questions, being there for each other. It also helps that we um, met with a grief counselor actually a little bit for a while. Um, mm. So uh, weekly at first, and then we sort of tapered off every other week. Um, and I think that she was really helpful in helping us to do this because. Certainly our relationship had been tested in other ways before over the decade of being together, but we had never really encountered grief together. And what she really helped us understand was that it's okay to have different styles of grieving and recovery, um, and it was also important to stick together, and those mm-hmm. are you can do that at the same time. So what I mean by different styles, um, I was sort of more like a leaky faucet, is what I call it. I sort of cried on and off every day for months. Um, And I was much more inclined to do things like writing and reading and connecting with people, talking on the phone with people, FaceTiming with people. Um, Whereas Brian was more of like one huge cry per week. Um, And he did a lot of more activities like gardening and exercising and house projects. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in that way, we actually did kind of have different styles. And at times that felt sort of odd. Uh, But what our grief counselor helped us understand is that there's nothing wrong with having different styles and there shouldn't be this pressure to grieve exactly the same way and side by side all the time. And she also pointed out that even though we're grieving the same child, we're grieving different relationships to that same child. Oh, um, right. And I think that was a profound kind of, oh, you're right. Um, so, you know, she encouraged us to grieve together at times, and that looked like sharing Jackson memories, planning projects in his honor, um, reading some of the same grief books and discussing them. But then we also grieved separately, and that was okay. So we actually, to this day, we say goodnight to his urn and his lovey that's on our mantle pretty much every night and we do that separately. It's actually something that we don't do together. Um, you do what? What is it on your mantle? It's his urn. Um, his so urn, So we, we yeah. cremate it, yeah. And so yep. he has this little urn and it just says Jackson Antonio Clark and it says um, always in our hearts. And it's just mm-hmm. this little urn that sits on our mantle and we have his lovey which is basically like a little um, for parents with young children it's like a little blanket slashed up animal that you know they kind of cuddle with at night. Right. It's like a security thing and so Anyways, we have that on top of his urn, and, and that's um, on top of the mantle. And so every night we separately say goodnight to Jackson. And, and sometimes we even talk to Jackson, but we do that alone. We don't really do that together. So I, I think she helped us see that we can do things differently and independently and also be side-by-side side in the importance of sticking together overall through the process.
0: That's interesting. I mean, that, that could be challenging. I think the person... Really, I could imagine with both of you, I mean, with your style, um, in some ways, um, Brian could be a partner for some of what you were doing, Mm -hmm. but in other ways, you were doing it alone. Mm -hmm. Um, You're writing um, Mm -hmm. maybe all those people you're calling or you're talking to and the the crying that you're doing. I mean, he might be there for that, um, Mm -hmm. and what he's doing to work away or work on grieving is doing active things Mm -hmm. um, during which his mind has a chance to heal, I think, Mm -hmm. to recover Mm -hmm. from what's Mm -hmm. happened. And, And he's doing that in some ways alone. So that really wasn't a problem for you guys.
1: It wasn't because I think our grief counselor really helped us understand that that was okay, um, I think at first, a lot of people, I mean, that was what people asked us so much in the immediate weeks was, how's Brian? Like, how are you guys together? Like, like, what is it like to go through this together? And I think for us, we would ask ourselves, like, is this okay? Is this okay that we're a little bit different in the way that we're grieving, that our styles are a little bit different? Mm-hmm. And I think that understanding that that was okay to, to grieve separately and together, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it's, it's dialectical, right? But um, there was a way in which I felt very much together on this journey of grieving. And I also felt that there were parts of it that I wanted to do alone or needed to do alone. And it was okay to do those alone. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And then of course, there's the other piece, which is doing it with my parents or my siblings or my friends. Like there was, there were other outlets for who to do certain things with um, Mm -hmm. and same for Brian. But I think um, I, we've been very fortunate that this, has not been something that has torn us apart. And, you know, Brian actually has kind of a metaphor for this that I like. It's kind of like healing a broken bone. Like you want to make sure that the two parts of the broken bone heal up together and not separately. Mm -hmm. So we had to be in it together for that healing process to make sure it didn't set in a weird way where over time you realize your arm doesn't work Mm -hmm. anymore. Mm
0: -hmm. But it was
1: also okay to kind of have each other sort of on this tether where, you know, you can go do something Um, do something separately and just kind of be close by and not wander too far.
0: Mm -hmm. It's a really important thing. I'm just thinking how this isn't just associated with um, a moment of loss in lives of parents, but how many parents cope with things about their children not going the way they wanted, um, whether the child develops a mental illness, or the mm-hmm. child has some bad thing happen and can't realize their dreams or whether the child just goes in a different direction that the parents ever imagined and the parents have to come to terms with that mm-hmm. and so in all of these situations you could start to raise the same question because all of these put strains on most marriages mm-hmm. um, and usually there is more of a prospect of blame that can go on than than the kind of event that happened to you. Uh, I just consulted with some uh, two parents whose uh, college-age son um, has gotten involved in uh, a relationship and a way of living that they can't believe given how he was raised and that they're very upset about and worried about where he's headed. And they were coming in to try... And they had very different ways of going about what to do about it. One was sort of the... Let's wait and see style, and the other was let's go kidnap him, and bring him home, and do and 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 they both had ways of criticizing him that they feel bad about, and so their different styles added another problem. There's the problem of, mm-hmm. okay, how can we help our son if in fact he is in trouble? Um, what position should we take? And then there's also how do we deal? With each other because we have different instincts, as people typically will, um, for coping with things. You know, the one who has a child that won't leave home, won't go out into the world because they're uh, whatever it is—they're mysterious and anxious and can't go anywhere—and one parent's likely to feel, you know, you're likely to get a split between parents or different styles of, you know, let's let's make him leave versus, no, let's let him stay long enough so he feels safe to do that at his own pace. And these are very different, and marriages can really fall apart over these things. So I think this may be a future topic in general of how to cope with when things don't work out with your child the way you want, and this year's is an extreme version of it. And I just think it's wonderful that you guys have found a way to um, honor each other's different ways of doing this, and at the same stage, you know, try to make sure the bone heals in a way that's appropriate for both ends.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, yeah, it's very tricky. And um, I think the other piece of it, which sort of leads to the other part of this question from the listener, um, is that it's also kind of a moving target, right? Because there's also ways in which not only we might be different to begin with, but we are changing, Mm-hmm. As this is happening, um, and so um, I believe part of the question was how has this changed us as people, um, you know, pre mm-hmm. and post losing Jackson, and I think, I think that's, that's what makes it a moving target. And um, just to answer that question, I can pretty much say with absolute certainty and confidence that I'm no longer the person I used to be. And that sounds like a really strong statement, um, mm-hmm. but the reality is that that's not necessarily a totally bad thing either, uh, though I would be lying if I said I wouldn't undo this tragedy and all the wisdom I've gained along the way in a heartbeat if I could. Um, but there is this sadness, I guess, that is now part of our daily lives that I'm not sure will ever really go away, and that's something that um, mm-hmm. has changed. Um, Uh, you know, I'll preface this by saying that Brian and I were quite fortunate uh, before Jackson died to have pretty blissfully happy lives. Um, You know, we had normal challenges and stressors, but we were sort of, as Brian calls it, stupid happy, (laughs) like blissfully unaware of what was to come or Mm -hmm. what could come. Um, And, you know, by now we can finally enjoy things and laugh regularly, but we also still miss Jackson and cry regularly, too. And that's, that's a change for us. Mm -hmm. Um, And although we've gone to a place where we can experience joy again, and I'm very grateful for that, it's what Brian and I sort of refer to as complicated joy. There is this thing that has changed in a pretty permanent way in that sense. But I will say we've come certainly a long way from the initial immense emptiness and hopelessness and frankly not wanting to be alive feelings um, and lots of fear, so much fear that something like this could happen Mm -hmm. again to a future child, to someone else, to our living family members, but what has changed sort of um, over time, this has sort of lended itself to also a lot of growth and new perspectives and I think that's the part where I would say has changed us for the better. Um, And I can speak to that briefly but basically one way in which I think I have sort of also permanently changed is I feel like I woke up through this whole process, mm-hmm. sort of um, awake to the fragility and the preciousness of life, and also just this incredible illusion we carry of control and planning our futures. Mm-hmm. Um I planned my life to a T and it still, this still happened. Um, And Mm -hmm. so I sort of woke up to this and I think related to that, I became actually quite grateful um, for each day that someone I love does keep living. Um, You just, after things like this, you don't take things for granted the way you did before. Um, Mm -hmm. And I guess with that being more mindful, like, I don't know, I've become like less of a neurotic planner, I guess, less anxious, especially about trivial things, Um, I've just sort of realized that so many things just simply don't matter, or the opposite, realizing that we often quickly pass by things that really do matter. Um, Mm -hmm. And I guess altogether that makes us more intentional about meaningful work and meaningful relationships. It's just like this utter and profound respect for time in life um, Mm. in a way that wasn't there before. So I think that that's a huge way in which we've changed.
0: Mhm. Mhm. i love that term you said complicated happiness yeah,
1: yeah. um
0: i i know what you mean um yeah. it really uh, you know things evolve and things that happen that can't be undone mm-hmm. um that doesn't mean you can't live with them but it it does change you and you had said that there you would before this happened there haven't really been any huge losses in your life that would have mm-hmm. been anywhere near comparable to this and so it's like you know it's unpredictable how you'll come through it um, what it'll be like it's really been quite um, a journey for you yeah to it really to, has been to go through this
1: yeah and I think the other thing I'll add to is that in addition to these changes I think the other big change is um, I just have this sort of sense of, I don't know, I guess confidence in my ability to sort of survive whatever comes my way at this point. Um, You know, I don't have an exact plan. I haven't exactly coped ahead for how I would handle future losses or traumas or, Mm -hmm. frankly, how I'll put a future child to sleep without losing my mind. But I do have this new confidence that I will be able to handle these things, that I will be able to figure them out because of what I've been through already um and so i think that's another way in which i've changed as a person Mm -hmm. through this yeah Mm -hmm. yeah
0: yeah that's part of what i meant and what i'll get back to in another podcast on living dialectically Mm -hmm. that um you it's living in a way that takes account of the fact that things will rise up in your life against you things will not go the way you expect that you will get stuck you will get disappointed seriously you will get hit hard at some point and it's kind of like having this sense that you know what when that happens i will bounce around um i'll get back to moving forward i came up and it was in a, a teaching i was doing once in a dbt workshop that i recognize something that really helped me with being a therapist and i think it's also helpful living and you just described it so well is that you know if you picture yourself as this certain two or three foot tall toy that's a replica of r2d2 and r2d2 when you turn him on and we had one of these walks around the house in a straight line always it's just sort of like acts like r2d2 and it just moves forward and makes little noises and and when it bumps into something it it backs up a little bit and then it goes forward again and it bumps in again and it backs up again but every time it backs up it's at a slightly different angle so after a few bumps it moves on to another direction and i realized when i was thinking about that metaphor and thinking about that toy that's really Um, a valuable metaphor for a therapist Um, in working with really difficult situations. You keep bumping into them and then you go at it again and you go at it a little different and next time it's a slightly different angle. And guess what? After a while, things change because nothing ever stays the same. And I think that you can go through life like that, but if your life is spared, anything that really requires a big bump or adjustment, like this is a massive one, um, yeah i don 't think you necessarily wake up to that way of living mm-hmm. um it 's also living with gratitude yeah. um that you 're describing that I think is so helpful and helps to be happy even if it 's in a complicated way mm-hmm. um, Just real you know you 've come out of this with a lot um amazing amount um, yeah. And and you you keep implying it sounds like that you are thinking of having another child at some point. This hasn't turned turned you away from the, a plan to have a child to raise.
1: You know, I'll be honest. The day that Jackson died, I actually said to somebody, "I don't think I could ever have another child again."
0: Yes, very understandable feeling. <laughs>
1: yeah, it, it was really strong. It was just like this is too much to risk. This this is there's too much. Um, I don't think I could put myself through anything like this ever again. Um, mm. but interestingly, it only took probably like a week after Jackson died where I started to have kind of strong feelings of of just really wanting to be a parent again um, and so we do we do plan to to be parents again, and it's something that is very scary um but also um, something really rewarding. I think that once we had the experience of how meaningful it can be to have a child in our home, it is hard to go back to that. And I think that is something that's unique about losing an only child as opposed to losing a child when you have Mm. other children in the house. And I can imagine, actually, my friend I keep referring to from uh, the SUDC Foundation who lives on the other side of the country, like I said, she has two other children. And so we've talked a lot about you know, the inherent kind of pros and cons of both situations because that's also really hard to care for other children while you are trying to just barely take care of yourself. Um, So so there is something inherently very challenging about having children in the house when you're going through something like this. But Hmm. for Brian and I, it it was such a night and day, like there was a huge emptiness. And so we are very afraid, but like the mentality with your exposure song um, and what we've been talking about, the approach, the, the desire for having parenthood in our life again and having mm-hmm. a child in our life again is strong enough that it helps us have the courage to mm-hmm. approach something that does feel very scary.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And that is, this is especially, it has all these special features because of being an only child. Mm-hmm. I think about it, I hadn't even thought of that angle on it. I mean, we, have, we always have two dogs yeah when we lose a dog we always go through something because we get so attached to think that's it there's no other replace there's no replacement for this dog mm-hmm. and we just can't there a time has to pass before we can even imagine it and then somehow it comes up and we realize oh we're thinking about that again and then we but we've gotten uh, over the years we've gotten to where we like our dogs to be a few years apart rather than the same age um just to avoid losing two at once, if possible, mm-hmm. as if you could control that.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, that's also true. That
0: loss of control—that's a really big—that's a big one um, that you th- realize. That I mean, I—I I think all of us every day, in all kinds of little ways, recognize our loss of control. It's just—it doesn't always add up. To a big le- a big learning lesson that affects us the next day, but you know things <laughs> yeah. never go. You know you didn't want it to rain that day, and then it rained. And you didn't want someone to be driving so slowly in front of you when you're late for work. And you didn't want that person to catch that error in the document you wrote. And you didn't what you didn't want your your spouse or your child to say the kind of thing they said that really gave you a bad start to the day or whatever. Just so many things. It just happens constantly. Like the world just never goes. I was thinking after your talking last week that it's a little bit like a, a useful way to live is to think like like a GPS, that you are always recalibrating. Mm-hmm. You know, You're bumping into actually a direction that was not part of your plan. Right. for that minute that hour that day that year and then right. you have to recalibrate and that's a skillful way to live if you can recalibrate some of us stop recalibrating because we don't want to approach it again we stay away from what we're afraid of but I think, I think you're
1: so right just, about that yeah and I I've always been such a planner I mean that is totally my personality yeah
0: well that's big on control
1: yeah, it's huge on control, and I think that's kind of what I was alluding to, where I've become sort of less of a planner. And, of course, being a planner is not a bad thing. Um, right. in, in a lot of ways, that's how I've gotten to where I've gotten in, in my life, um, is being a planner um, and thinking two steps ahead. But I think based off of what you're sort of describing, when you realize that just anything can come and just throw the whole plan off course, you start to not plan 10 steps ahead anymore, but maybe just one or two steps ahead. And so I think that has been um, a change for me in terms of just kind of being more humble in the face of nature or the universe,
0: just
1: throwing things at me and and planning to some degree, but not in the same way, because I think I just realized that I'm not as powerful as I thought I was.
0: Well, I think another way of living dialectically is that you you can still be a planner. It's like that it's like why I like that notion of being complicatedly happy. Mm-hmm. You can be a complicated planner. Yeah, you know you can be a planner that knows that you're planning long term and short term, and you know in your bones that that plan might fall apart any minute yeah. um, or with an unexpected twist or turn. Anyone mm-hmm. who's been on vacation and made a plan for how it's supposed to go, has learned this you know, <laughs> there. it just never it never goes I mean I've, I've said many times all, almost all of us are living backup plans mm-hmm. um, you know almost nobody's living their original plan and uh, and it just requires the skill of okay I'm going to be very planful about this and when it screws up I'm gonna let go of it you know yeah. and I, I'm back to the drawing board but it's not going to be such an incredible surprise once you've realized how much can change in a second.
1: I like that a lot. Yeah.
0: Um, I was just thinking, um, is there anything else you wanted to say about, um, you know, how this has changed uh, you, Brian, or your marriage for better uh, and for worse? Uh, And, you know, it's easy to imagine how it has changed things for worse and you've been very poignant about giving some examples of encountering over and over again, um, you know, this and that that uh, reminds you. Um, And also it just sounds like you've learned some very sobering up lessons and you've also learned that you've coped through this together, which has to have a lasting impact on the relationship.
1: Yeah, certainly. And, and yeah, I mean, I think I've pretty much touched on the, the things I wanted to get across and I think kind of this shared task of ours since has been trying to figure out how to make meaning from this, which is a term that we often use in uh, trauma therapy is is how how one makes meaning after these events and I think that that's also been something that we've really come together around and has really helped us Mm. be resilient, bring in our social support networks. and and make meaning out of this yeah mhm mhm so I could talk a little bit about that well
0: you know there's 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 that and also wanting to um why don't you just go with that cuz that's what came up i mean the other thought i had was going with um you know what it's a follow up from something you said last week when you talked about that you wrote a letter to instruct your friends the mothers of other children that you had known um instruct them how you know how to regard you and how to proceed to help them have a set of guidelines and you and you sent me a copy of that letter and i just think it's a wonderful letter that people would appreciate um so i don't know i want i sure. ho- yeah. i want us to get to that also and also to the way you've made meaning of this in the world and kind of made it that jackson continues to live on in a certain way
1: yeah, well, let's hit all of it. I'll start with, okay, the,
0: go ahead, with the letter you want with, it. The,
1: with the mama friends. So I, I mentioned this in my uh, talking about this last week, um, that the it was kind of like an open letter, um, and it's called A Note to My Mama Friends. And it was in response to um, my friends who are moms, particularly a couple of friends who I noticed were sort of walking on eggshells around me a little bit, um, understandably, out of fear of um, stinging us or... You know, accidentally complaining about their living children um, and the difficulties of parenthood, which are so normal. Um, and so I was really picking up on this fear of theirs of either, you know, posting photos of them happy with their kids or texting right. me some frustrated comment, and and both of which were um, they were nervous to do. Um, so that's that's right. what kind of inspired this letter. So I can read it. I've got it here. So it's like Good. I said, a note to my mama friends, and it says. It's okay to find parenthood challenging. It's okay to post your public displays of affection with your children on Instagram. And it's okay to have confusing, mixed feelings about the simultaneous joy and difficulty entailed in raising a child, especially when I've lost mine. I sense your unease when you tell me about your long days and the sleepless nights. Every complaint is milder now and often followed by a statement of gratitude for what you have. I so appreciate your caution with my feelings. I know my pain has touched you, and I'm glad, to see, I'm glad you see how lucky you are. At the same time, I want you to know that your frustrations are valid because it's true that parenting is hard. It's also true that you are grateful for your children and wish I didn't have to lose my child. Both are true without negating the other. This is uncharted territory, at least for me, but I invite you to keep inviting me into your life, and together we will figure out what works. Know that I love you and your children and coming over to your house for dinner will likely be both hard and enjoyable. Know that watching them play with toys and laugh and grow will make me both smile and long for Jackson. Know that the joy in remaining connected to your family is worth whatever difficulty we may experience in being around you. My ability to cope with this tragedy involves and requires feeling close to you, my mama friend." And ever since you became a mama, it became impossible to share yourself without your child. Hmm. I love you and am grateful for your willingness to navigate this painful obstacle, one we certainly never expected to impede our friendship along with me. Know that sometimes you may accidentally cause my heart to sting. Know that sometimes my ability to be your best support may fall short of what you need. Please know you have my permission to share and post and call, and I'm giving myself permission to occasionally unfollow, not hit like, or let your call go to voicemail, if that's what I need in that moment. Tell me about your children, and also know that I may choose to skip their birthday party. I'll know that you understand. Please know, above all else, that I'm willing to try and risk taking some missteps here or there, if you are.
0: Hmm. It's It's such an amazing letter, I have to tell you. It's really, I mean your just um, your capacity to put it out there to them and ask this of them and to be complicated about it and to be supportive and yet to um, leave room for yourself to be able to do a lot of different things as you need in the moment and to leave room for them to do a lot of different things without having to feel terrible about it. I mean, it's just incredible. Um, I said this last time when I hadn't even seen the letter but I would say it again there's something about this kind of letter though maybe there's hundreds or thousands of such letters like this but I'm not sure I've seen one quite like this and so I um, I I really appreciate that you were willing to read it it's a very personal thing
1: Oh, I'm I'm so glad to read it, and and I've been very very fortunate to have a wonderful reception to this letter, and I really have such such wonderful friends, and oh. and like I said, ever since I sort of posted this, and have just tried to be more uh, transparent and dialectical, and um, just open um, with my friends. Um, you know. Actually, shortly after I posted this and talked with my friends about it, we received so many invitations to come over to dinner. <laughs> um, so many hey, that we didn't have enough time. I send one of these out myself. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and so, you know, it really has been win-win, and, and these wonderful friends of mine have, have really expressed being grateful for our inviting them in on this journey, and, and we are equally grateful for them. Being alongside us in this journey because that's not mm. easy. Um, so, yeah, really grateful. Well,
0: it's just another example of being very consciously trying to cope with this, and
1: yeah.
0: it's, it addresses a very unusual part of this, which is I think that people usually don't quite have the proactive energy to deal with, which is how to instruct your friends. I mean, that doesn't yeah. seems like that shouldn't fall on the person who's grieving, but um, in fact, it's helpful.
1: If yeah, you can and do I it. think that's kind of back to the theme of, you know, support is what you've got, but also support is your transaction with your support. And that's that kind of active piece of it that I have found very empowering where we can actually, um, without creating too much of a burden for ourselves, instruct or give feedback or reinforce or ask for what we need. And and these things can actually help us get exactly what we need.
0: Now, look, let me help turn the corner to this other thing you were going to talk about. Uh, what you said last time was that when Christmas came, which, of course, is about three months after his death, um, you usually have a Christmas list of about 50 people or something like that, and you, yeah. and you decided you're going to send out Christmas cards, and you found an appropriate one, and then you sent it out, and you tripled the size of your list, as sort of to say, not only are we going to continue to participate in the world with holidays, and acknowledge these things, but um, we're going to more participate more. <laughs> and then it, you yeah. said it—it it was that that began turning into a, this thing that became a project. And I wonder if you could tell us about it.
1: Yeah, I would love to talk about the kindness project, and um, and so yes, that is the exact setup for it. Was um, around the time that we realized, okay, we. We want to send out a Christmas card. We want to really explicitly and behaviorally communicate to people that we want Jackson front and center, that we want to talk about him, that we don't want to avoid um, thinking about something painful over the holidays. In fact, let's channel this into something. Um, And that's what sort of gave birth to the Kindness Project. And so basically along with the Christmas card that I described last week um, was sort of a letter describing this whole idea, and then a couple of kindness cards. And so the kindness cards, um, you know, Brian, he's a he's a designer of, of things. And so he was actually able to design these really beautiful cards. And so um, on the front, it has a photo of Jackson. And it says, this act of kindness is in loving memory of Jackson Antonio Clark. And on the very back, um, it has this beautiful pink floral pattern because Jackson loved pink flowers. And it says, a life that touches others goes on forever. So that was kind of... Um, where it all kind of started from and I will say I got this idea from a book that I read about you know this is not our you know unique idea a lot of people do things like this but it is a type of a kindness project (laughs) and and for us like I said I think it was a lot about this making meaning and finding purpose after trauma and loss it was about finding ways to honor Jackson and sort of be really active in the spreading of his impact in the world and essentially just not letting this tragedy and our suffering to be his legacy or like the end-all be-all of the story, Um, finding ways to kind of let him to continue living. And it sort of came from a place of realizing that, you know, I wasn't going to get new photos with Jackson, new experiences, new memories. I wasn't going to get to watch him ride a bike or graduate or get married, but... Jackson's impact on the world and my relationship with him could continue, and basically his impact on living, changing things by default means that he and my relationship with him continues to live and change. So that was that was kind of where it came from. And of course, there's the piece of you know doing good in the world, which which feels good too. Um, but it came from this place of really wanting to to help him continue. So. Um, so, like I said, we had these little cards, and we just invited people to participate in spreading kindness in his honor. And then we just asked people, basically, um, to take a photo of their kindness act in some way. Um, some of them were hard to take pictures of, so they could just describe it too. But mm-hmm. um, we gave, we mailed out to you know all 150 letters that we mailed out had two kindness cards. And then we got a lot of people saying, "Send me more." <laughs> oh wow. um, But we now have a website where we posted these, and there's about 200 now. Um, of kindness acts in Jackson's memory, and it's an ongoing project. I actually just got a text from my friend Eliza just a couple of days ago. She was on her way to work on call. Uh, She's a doctor late at night. She stopped at a Starbucks, and she... Told me, she texted me that she took a picture of the woman at the register holding a Jackson card, and then she texted me, Someone's about to meet Jackson. So she bought a drink for somebody behind her or something like that. Um, So that's just an example, but it's ongoing, and people keep doing these wonderful, beautiful things. And, you know, some of them are are kind of the big ones like Jackson has fed and clothed the homeless. Um, He sponsored a child in Sri Lanka, funded the education of a refugee child. He's put a lot of hair on the heads of multiple cancer survivors. He's mm. contributed to critical research um, on sudden unexplained death in childhood, SUDC. We've raised just, honestly, thousands of dollars for them, um, for us. And, um, and then there's also kind of the smaller or more indirect ways that are equally beautiful. He's fed the birds outside our window. He's, like I said, bought coffee for strangers. He's brought people together who otherwise wouldn't know each other and I think for all of us, he's changed the way we look at life and respond to tragedy and loss. And it's just been this incredibly heartwarming project. Um, And I think that what I've heard from people who have participated, it's given them a really tangible way to provide social support because there's only so many flowers and casseroles you can drop off that this feels to them like a really um, an opportunity or an empowering chance Um, to really make a difference, not only for us, but for other people. Um, And so it's been incredibly powerful, and and it's something we plan to keep going.
0: Yeah. God, so many things. And I'm just imagining that of the the things that, let's say, somebody turns around and buys somebody their meal or a cup of coffee um, and all the other things like that, that then – you know, that's gonna be translated into some that person doing something for somebody. And yes. sort of how many, many, many things there are like that, it's really
1: Yeah wonderful. I mean I have I have spent so much time thinking about that. Um, it really blows my mind. And I actually know of a couple instances of where, you know, we've done a kindness act or somebody has done a kindness act for somebody and then they've gone on to sort of spread it on. But I am also Aware that there's countless other examples I'm just not aware of. It's kind of, it's kind of gone viral, I guess, in a way where um, it sort of has. There's this quality where there's a lot of comfort in like being very active in our spreading of Jackson's memory and the kindness. And then there's something also beyond that, which is that it has a life of its own. Like I, I take comfort in. I don't even need to be actively telling the world be kind, do things in honor of Jackson, whatever, it, it's just happening, and it's just kind of unfolding in it on its own, and that's so, so powerful. Um, but I do want to share an example, which was my favorite kindness act that I did and how it came uh, sure. full circle. It was just it's my favorite story about this. Um, but one of the kindness acts that I did was um, – well, the backstory of it, I'll make it short, is that I – um, we live near this place called Paint the Town, and it's basically a ceramic painting studio. You've probably heard of some version of this in your own town, yeah. but um, yeah, you, know, you go with the kids like and you paint. Yeah. yeah. So I have always been really excited to do that with Jackson, um, and I would always talk about that. Even when I was pregnant, I told Brian when we walked by U Village and walked by Paint the Town, I said, oh, I can't wait to take our future baby here someday. And so actually, um, the Christmas before Jackson died, so he would have been just a little over one, um, Brian bought me... A gift card to say this is for you and Jackson when he gets big enough and I, we both knew it was very premature, he wasn't old enough to go but I've been hanging on to this gift card of this like event, this, this thing we wanted to do together <laughs> and of course Jackson died before he was ever really old enough to do that so we never mm-hmm. got to do it um, and so one of the kindness acts that I got very motivated to do around the holidays was actually to go to paint the town which was an exposure in and of itself but to go to paint the town um, and actually buy a a gift certificate and give it to a family who was there, um, mm. painting together. Mm. And so as I was doing this, I noticed I caught a family out of the corner of my eye and I said, Oh, it was a mom and, um, her daughter and her son. And I said, I'm going to treat them. Um, so anyways, I was getting a gift card at the, at the register. And then as I sort of look back, they're not there anymore. And turns out they had actually in that, half a minute or so come to check out. They were all done, and they were oh. going to go pay for their things, and they were standing right next to me. And I said, oh my gosh, um, okay. So I was like trying to finish my transaction quickly so I could give it to them before they paid. And it was really beautiful too because they had a J ornament that they had painted, and I was like, oh, this is so perfect. Um, so anyways, um, I I'd finished the transaction. I handed her the gift certificate, and I could barely get the words out, but I just tried to say like, this is in honor of my son. Like happy holidays or something like that, um, and yeah. so I handed it to her, and she just kind of teared up and, and said thank you. And that and that was it. that was it. I I walked out and I was like, wow, that felt so powerful and good and yeah. special. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry, got a little emotional. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, anyways, then it was really interesting because about a month later. Um, we, were, we get these letters from the SCDC Foundation because we do a lot of fundraising with them about, um, oh, you know, heads up, so-and-so donated in your honor or in Jackson's name. And so, you know, families we know, I see a whole list of families we know, and then I want to thank for that. And then at the very bottom it says the, the Pottery um, Re- a Kindness Act Recipient and it has her name and her address. And this woman took our card, Googled it, found the Kindness Project, found our website, and learned what happened to Jackson, and she donated money to the SUDC Foundation. Oh. Wow. Yeah. It was just so special. Um, so anyways, that was an example of something that kind of came full circle, just one of the few examples that I got to witness, but it was very special.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah. Yeah. I'm just, uh, I'm, I think that any one event like that does, has the potential, and many of them will, one way or another. You just can't track all of them. That one happened to come back right to you, and you knew it. Right. God knows how many have just been right next to you. Yeah. Or have come around a circle in your community, or or somehow else. I don't want, I don't. I, I, I think that it's such a special example that you gave um, you know because you're giving with complete you you're giving it's kind of I don't know it's it's this concept that Jackson never ended yeah and he's still there and and it's it, it's you it's Jackson is part of you of course and Jackson was part of you before he was even physically manifest I mean Mm -hmm. he came from you and Brian and Mm -hmm. um, and he was there and his beginning was just happened to be that he became a physical being on the planet but you know a lot got associated with who he was from the first day and you guys took him in and what's wonderful is your generosity to share him with the world rather than just closing up which would be completely understandable um, and then it also really does um, indicate that, you know, he still has a life. And I don't say that in a simplistic or rosy way. I mm-hmm. just think he goes on and on, and he's going to go on and on, and he can't not now. He's just, you've unleashed something that's really, might not be attributed to him even, but his contribution to the world and his, and uh, of all things, to choose that it would be kindness.
1: Yeah. It's such
0: a great thing, you know? It's generosity.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's and I not asking
0: anything in return.
1: Right, and I think this concept of you know interbeing or interconnectedness has been so helpful. And um, thinking about this, I actually um, highly recommend for anyone listening to listen to your earlier episode on interbeing because I just found it so mm. helpful. Um, and I've since bought uh, one of Thich Nhat Hanh's books. Uh, I think it's no death, no fear, yeah. um, that has just been really uh, – it's changed the way I think about this. Um, and it's gotten me pretty pretty much uh, finally close to this idea of, like, Jackson is with us. Uh, I think people often say that more in a religious context. And yeah. while I don't personally believe he has this spirit that's watching over us or anything like that, I do really feel that if I can relax my boundaries of what it means for him to be here, I actually yeah. can feel him everywhere.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and – and I'm not separate from him. Um, no. And he is me and I am him. And sometimes Brian and I even will just, you know, be talking in the kitchen or something and, and I'll, I'll say something and he'll look at me and say, you just made a Jackson face. And I'm like, I know I felt it as I was doing it. <laughs> like there is this sense of like, he's That's just so totally sweet. in us and, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and spreading his impact is, is a huge way of feeling that presence. Mm.
0: Mm. What a legacy. Yeah. What a legacy. I love it. Um, you know you you, he, you are you are him. It's a really good example of the that, that if you relax your notions a little bit, that there really aren't boundaries between these people and these things. So I think it's a great example. I think that, you know I, 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 whether someone recognizes it or not, I think it happens that way. And if you do recognize it, there's a certain joy in realizing that the people that you've lost are still with you. Mm -hmm. and that they manifest in you Mm -hmm. that when I'm teaching my dear friend Cindy who passed away 15 years ago she still comes with me and she teaches with me and I mean that in such a concrete way that I I could I could be put in a hospital if I said it to the wrong person (laughs) (laughs) but she really is there she changed me forever and then I've changed people with her um and continued in in fact that might be one of my future podcasts i might be might read the book that i've been writing about her and me um and our radio shows together (laughs) so look natalia we have just a couple minutes um this is the end of three meetings i could imagine it going on and on i mean (laughs) you're you're a remarkable person uh and i don't mean that in some glorifying way i really think you're an unusual person in putting together um a a really um deep tragedy with a deep sense of meaning and a tenacious tenaciousness about using things that you think will be helpful to you to just go at them i love it You're, you're an inspiration i think and i think people who listen you know i think a lot of people will find you to be an inspiration and um and i'm so grateful that you came on and shared something that's still so Recent and so personal, and it's so meaningful, I think, to all of us listening. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Many, many thank yous.
1: And thank you to you and all the listeners for listening in. Um, I feel like, you know, on the topic of making meaning, I mean, the opportunity to do something like this is another way in which we make meaning and find purpose after this is just reflecting on it and and sharing anything that we've learned and and Mm -hmm. you know i don't presume that this will speak to everyone's experience of trauma or loss but if anyone can get an inkling of our experience and it can help them that is huge for me in terms of making Mm -hmm. meaning after all of this so the opportunity to do this is just incredible and i'm i'm so grateful so thank you and thank mm-hmm. you, Melanie Harned, who's probably listening, <laughs> for coming up with the idea.
0: She's in Ireland. I don't know if she'd be listening. It would oh, be, maybe uh,
1: she'll listen next
0: week. 4, 5 o'clock. She might be listening because it'd be like 10 o'clock at night in Ireland right now, I think. <laughs> and uh, So she's probably done with her teaching for today, and, and maybe she's listening. I'm sure she will listen because she was very devoted to you and very oh, yeah. excited that you were going to talk, and, um, yeah. and she um, really – really supported that idea so yeah yeah, melanie's a a wonderful mentor
1: thank goodness Um, for melanie
0: (laughs) so my best to you your family um to brian who's allowed his wife to put him out on the air Um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) he's listening he's been listening all three episodes okay good
0: good good. and uh and to you and um i'm sure we'll um you know we'll meet again I'm sure we will. We'll Thank you again. so
1: much, Charlie.
0: All right. Take good care.
1: You too. Bye-bye. All right.
0: Bye-bye.